if we're able to tonight, um, up to verse 6, uh, the first half of verse 6, which is um, where, where Eve um, begins sort of uh, this conversation, well, rather, she doesn't begin it, the, the serpent begins this conversation with her to tempt her and to allure her. We're going to see some more depth about this, and there is a tremendous amount of stuff here, not just to learn about Eve and the situation that she found herself in, but as well for you and I tonight. I want you to know that the devil, though he is the father of lies, though he is the tempter, the accuser of the brethren, we often think and give him so much credit as if he is so incredibly intelligent, which he absolutely is. However, he has not gotten any more wise, I don't believe. I believe he's used the same tactics that he always always has, and we're going to look a little bit at that tonight. Uh, but uh, he certainly has a, a wider audience and a grander scale of which he is doing uh, his, his awful and evil work. But let's read tonight verse number 1 through 6, and then we're going to uh, pick up uh, tonight here um, uh, right around where Eve responds for the first time. It says in verse number 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, and your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to, to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now this, of course, as we've been talking about, shows us the very first sin of mankind, shows the fall of man, shows us where uh, uh, sin and death and sickness and every ailment and every groaning of this earth begins, where the, literally the whole downfall of all of creation uh, takes place. And by the way, as we talked about, it is not with Eve's sin, but it is with Adam's. It is Adam who is the federal head uh, of the human race, and it is he who is the one who is created, and it was Eve who was created for him. And so we see how all of these things are important, how, how the devil comes now to attack the home, the foundation of God, the foundation of who he is. And we see, as we get to this point now, um, how the, the snake's questions here. As the commentator writes, um, he says, the snake's questions imply that God has been keeping something from the man and woman. The early narratives in Genesis, however, have suggested uh, the opposite. Rather than keeping something from the man and woman, God has been keeping something for them, namely the good. And suggesting that God has been keeping the good from humankind the words of the snake directly challenge the central theme of the early narratives. God will provide the good for human beings if they trust and obey God. Now, I, I, we say that and we look at that for, for a reason here. He starts off and he says in verse number 1, uh, And he saith unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the trees of the garden. And she goes on her little, her little spiel here, but... He says, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. It is as if he is provoking and, and singing, uh, is sort of this, uh, bringing about this idea. He says to her, in a way, what is God keeping from you? But he's using the thing that God is keeping for them to seem as if God is withholding from them. And, and I know that seems a little backwards, all right? It seems a little confusing here. God had originally made all things. After each day, he says, God saw and he said it was good. Now, we talked about what good meant. Good here, especially in the first chapter, is dealing with a preparing that it is useful and beneficial to man. That mankind is the only thing, it is the high peak of creation, 
uh, because it is the only thing made in the image of God. It is a living soul. God breathed the breath of life into him, formed man, and then took of man and formed and made Eve and, and united the two together. Now, as we see here, that if we were to have just chapter 2, it would be like us turning and reading Revelation 22. Right? Everything is good. Right? The, the, the saints of God are with God, dwelling with God, walking with God, enjoying God as we were meant to, and it is good. Right? Because if we look here, at the end of chapter 2, they were both naked, the man and his wife, they were not ashamed. Things are great. Right? Adam has known God. He has walked with God. He is now has a wife, a helpmeet. The animals are getting named. Life is good in the garden. They're both naked and not ashamed. They're not ashamed because there's no sin. And see, what we look at here is this obedience, this idea that God has given them every tree except the one. But perhaps with obedience, they could have of everything. You see, obedience, they, they would be able to truly enjoy God as they were meant to. If Adam, if you ever wanted the, the question, what happened? What would happen if Adam did not eat that day? Right? I've asked that question myself. Perhaps he eats the next day, I don't know. Perhaps the next one, I, I don't know. We, we do know this, that when the devil comes to Satan and he tempts, uh, excuse me, when the devil comes to Jesus and he tempts him in the wilderness, he tempts him several times and then he says, uh, that he departs for a season, right? We don't know how long that season was. What is implied there is that he continued to come back to Jesus to tempt Jesus over and over and over again. So I believe that the same would have certainly have probably been with Adam and Eve. This is all these sort of things that we read about and we go, well, I wonder, right? These are the, the what ifs. But to obey God means that we get to then enjoy God. We get to enjoy the fullness of his goodness. Let me ask you, is God good? That's right, right? God is good, right? All the time, all the time, God is good, right? We could do the whole, whole shebang that we've all heard because it's true. God is good. Let me ask you then this. Does God desire good for His people? Yes, right? It's not a trick question. I know it was a second question, but it wasn't a trick one, right? God d certainly does desire good for His people. But how do you and I experience the good that is designed and meant? It's obedience. Right? We think throughout the whole rest of the Pentateuch that is going to be uh, calling out God's people as he uh, um, calls out and, and establishes the people of Israel over and over and over again with his covenant people and his covenant promises is that he says, if you obey, then you will get the land, the seed, the blessing. If you obey, you will enjoy my presence. If you obey, you will enjoy my blessing. If you obey, you will be fruitful. If you obey, right, over and over and over again, these conditional things. Now remember that the garden here is a sort of conditional place where they are enjoying God. But the moment that they, they stop enjoying God and walking with God is the moment that they have sinned against God. So instead of being able to walk with Him in chapter 3, as we're going to see as we continue on this chapter 3 journey, is that instead of being able to enjoy God and walk with God and have fellowship with God, they instead are afraid of God and hide behind a tree and try to cover themselves up with fig leaves. We see the opposite happens. It's sin, which is disobedience, that um, takes us away from the goodness and the blessing of not just God's presence and fellowship, but as well as the blessing of the things and the gifts of which He has 
given to us. God is good, desires it for His people. Romans 8.28, but we see here that Satan does this first attack, and what he does is that not only he attacks God's Word, but he attacks God's character. Satan does not just want us to, to not believe God's Word. He wants us to just not believe God. And to believe God is to believe not just what He says, but who He is. His very character, His very nature. There are plenty of people today, for an example, right? Plenty of people today believe that God is love, right? Certainly we hear that. The Bible even says God is love. It's there. But those same people and many of those same people that say God is love do not say that God is judge or, or wrathful, right? And so they pick and choose what attributes or characteristics they want God to have. I want you to know, and we should all recognize this, we do not get to decide what characteristics and attributes God has or demonstrates. God is God, and God is God. That's it. God is God, we are not, and we must trust and believe in all that God is. We cannot pick and choose what God is or who God is. To do so is not only blasphemy, but it is idolatry. It is making a God in our image. But we're, are we to make God in our image? No, because we are the ones made in His image. So what is the real issue when he goes on later to talk about graven images and all these different things? Well, it's the idea that, he's, that we now are forming God into what we think he looks like, into what we can fathom, what we can hold on to, what we um, can, can wrap our little minds around. You see here as well, Satan gets us to where if we doubt his word, right, then we will doubt his goodness. You think about that. There's probably been, probably all of us tonight, if we're honest tonight, there's been times where we have not only doubted God's word or wondered or questioned, but in so doing, we've also doubted God's goodness. Right? What, why is God keeping this from me? If I'm doing X, Y, how come I'm not getting Z? Right? If I'm doing A and B, how come I'm not getting C from God? How come? We question at times the goodness of God. And truly, if we really look and dig down deep to the root of what sin is, is sin is not just disobedience. It is not just willful obedience to that which is evil and wrong. But it is as well a total doubt and betrayal of believing that God is God and that God is good. So if we doubt His Word, we doubt His goodness, that sin is right there knocking at the door. Right? We've already sinned, if it will, inwardly, but outwardly, it's coming. So we must know. We must know what we believe, why we believe it, and be able to articulate this. The Bible tells us to be ready always to give an answer. Here we find Eve, and she gives her answer. It says, And the woman said unto the serpent, in her response here, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. I want to say here before we move forward that I, I'm afraid that too many believers have far too many conversations with the devil than they do with their Lord God. Far too many get into these back and forths with the devil and with the lies and the whispers and things instead of just going to God. I would rather have a conversation with the Lord for a moment than with the devil for 10 minutes. 
And we think about this here. In this moment, what happens is much like what we're going to see and we have already seen in Matthew chapter 4 with the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness is that instead of being able to go to Scripture, now granted, she doesn't, she's not able to pull out her Schofield and go, well, let me take you here, dear Satan, serpent. Let me tell you why I can't, right? She doesn't do that. They don't have the Word at this point, but she does have the Word. Because what has happened? God has told Adam. Adam has told Eve, or at least is supposed to have, right? That was his job. That was his role to keep things pure in the garden and to preach the Word to his wife and to lead her into the way of obedience to not obey Him, but to obey the Lord. Now, in doing so, she would certainly be submitting and helping her husband, but in the sense that he would be obedient and following the Lord and in, in, in teaching her what that looks like. Now, clearly, she is aware, though, as a commentator writes, she is aware of the prohibition, therefore, and fully understood its meaning, but she added, neither shall you touch it, improved by this very exaggeration that it appeared too stringent even to her, and therefore that her love and confidence towards God were already beginning to waver. I believe this to be certainly true. There's a seed of doubt that is planted when the serpent says, Yeah, God said that ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He is questioning God. He's questioning God's character. He is questioning the goodness of God. He is questioning the, the gift of God. Well, if God's given you all that, then how come He's holding that one tree from you? If He's given you everything else to enjoy, why wouldn't He just give you that one thing? That doesn't sound all that fair, does it? You see, we can justify that. Because in our minds, that's exactly what we do when we sin, is we justify our sin. We give God a reason as to why we deserve that. Well, God, you've given me the whole rest of the garden, so I should be able to have that one tree too. What are you keeping from me? If you give me all this, how come you wouldn't give me that? You're holding back from me. Notice how this progression goes, and it gets worse and worse and worse. But if we're really honest, we have some of those same conversations in our own mind with sin, and that's exactly what we do. We, we, then we come to the place where we justify our sin in some way, and we go to our sin, and then the Holy Spirit conv- convicts us and corrects us, and we realize, how in the world could I even tell God such? How could I rebel in such a wicked way? I believe certainly that Eve knew. Clearly she did. She says, we may eat of the fruit trees of the garden. She says, but the fruit tree of that which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. Now that's right. That's what God said. But then she continues and she says, neither shall you touch it. She spoke, as one commentator puts it, as if the tree had been forbidden because of some poisonous quality of its fruit. The tempter, perceiving this, became bolder in his assertions. Let me ask you tonight, and this isn't really a trick question, but it sort of is. <laughs> that tree of which she is being tempted with, is the fruit evil or is the eating of the fruit evil? Eating, right? Eating the fruit. Now, here, here's what happens. God had said in chapter 2, verse 17 to Adam, uh, I'll back to verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest really eat. Praise the Lord. That's great. Look at all those gifts. I mean, think about that. There's nothing. Nothing that can't have except in verse 17, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In verse 17, do you ever see that God says you cannot touch it? No, we don't. Now, this is a problem. One of two things perhaps happened. One, Maybe Adam was a bad preacher, 
and added, added that in, right? He just he, he looks, looks at Eve and says, all right, see that one? We don't eat of it. And then she goes, well, what about, can I get close to it? Just, just don't touch it, right? I don't want you touching it at all. It's, it's off limits, right? Or perhaps in this own, she, she goes, well, it, it must be pretty severe, so I, I don't look at it, don't touch it, don't go near it, don't do any of these things. It's hard to tell. But see, it was the fruit. The fruit itself was not something that was so sinful, but rather it's a disobedience. There, there are countless things that, that in this world are meant for good, but yet man makes for evil. It is the disobedience to God that is the evil. It is disobeying God's command that is so evil. That fruit by itself, and we don't know what it is. There's many who speculate it was apples, some say it was a pomegranate, all, all these different apples. You know what it was? It was a fruit on a tree that God said don't eat of it, right? But the, the real fruit of that tree, if we really understand this, is that it, the fruit of it is disobedience. The fruit of it is death. The fruit of it is separation. The fruit of it was, was nothing good because in enjoying its fruit for a season, and by the way, sin is fun for a season, but enjoying it, what happens? We are separated from God. We have broken the fellowship with Him. Our first response is one that believes and sounds as if God to be too far strict in withholding of good things. This phrase, and I want to touch on this for a moment. She says, God has said, you shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Now, he had said, Thou shalt surely die if you eat of it. Not lest, like you might, right? It could be bad for you. He says, If you eat, you will die. Shout surely means shout surely. You will die. But the phrase, Neither shall you touch it, I believe this tonight to be the cry of the legalist crowd. This is the group that takes what God has said and then adds to what God has said. Right? God said, don't eat of it, and you shall, if you do, you're, you're going to die. The legalist says, thou shalt not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. If we remember in the life of Jesus and His ministry, they had all the Pharisees, right? What did the Pharisees do? Well, they were very strict. They kept the law. Well, at least according to themselves. But what else did they keep? Right? And by the way, they could not keep the law. Okay? And Jesus even says, the Bible tells us, you break one, you break all. Right? There's no one that has ever kept the law except for Christ himself. But here's what they did. They began some centuries before Jesus to begin to add to the law, which already had plenty of things that they couldn't keep, but they begin to add things that are specifically for themselves to keep. They start adding different things about hand washings and cleansings and different rituals and sayings and doings of this and that. In order to continue to separate themselves from the ordinary and average people, but as well to give more of an appearance that they are somehow now worthy of knowing and of knowing God as well as experiencing the blessing of God. There was even a time when the Pharisees looked at Jesus and, and they say, you're going to let your disciples eat with unwashed hands, right? As if that was the worst problem going on in all of Israel. Think about this. What we see here, when we see this phrase, neither shall you touch it, is the same thing that folks say today. It takes God's Word and then adds to God's Word, and we must never add to God's Word. Even in the great desire to be more holy, we cannot add anything more to this book 
that will make it more holy, let alone make us more holy. God's Word is sufficient. And if Adam and Eve had understood not just that God had inspired the Word and that it was inerrant and infallible, but had believed that it was sufficient, perhaps we would not be in such a mess that we're in today. This is why I would say this tonight. Every spiritual problem that you and I have boils back down to the issue of sola scriptura, which is Scripture alone, that the Scripture is sufficient. Because when I sin, alright, and I want you to know this, when Pastor Joe sins, you know why he sins? One, because he likes it. Two, because in that moment of sin, he says the Bible is not enough. The Bible is not sufficient enough to rule my life, my thoughts, my desires. That's what we do when we sin. We say what God has said is not enough. But then on the other side, when we become so religious that we become the legalist or the Pharisee and we begin to add to God's laws and add to God's rules, some modern day things of that would be uh, we have to wear, uh, you can't have a beard and you have to wear a suit coat when you preach, right? By the way, I've heard those. <laughs> if that's the case, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but you know something, there's a constant in the world that we have where man puts on these other different laws and we make ourselves so, so lawed up that we have no freedom in Christ. And I'm not talking about freedom to go do what we want, but I'm talking about the freedom to do what God wants. Real freedom is found in obeying Christ and what He says and taking what He says literally. Now, He says, Neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Now, the second temptation then comes. He says in verse number 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. As one commentator puts it, from doubt the tempter advances to a direct denial of the truth of the divine threat and to a malicious suspicion of the divine love. Notice, he says, oh, you shall not surely die. What did God say? You shall surely die. So God says this, so Satan says that. So Christ says this, Antichrist says this. Right? It is the opposite. And we're not just talking about end time Antichrist, right? the Antichrist, we're talking about Antichrist-like spirit. It is anything that goes against God and His Word. Where God speaks and God says this is right, then man says, no, that is wrong. Right? It's the same as the Bible tells us, woe unto those who call um, good evil and evil good. Right? Or that in the times of Judges where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. What we find here in Genesis 3, what we find in our own lives and the world around us is the issue that man does what man wants to do. Man does that which what he deems is right. We must never do what we feel is right or think is right, no matter how long we think about it. We must always and only do that which which God says is right. So he says, you won't surely, you shall not surely die. Then he also says, God knows in the day that you eat of it, you're going to be as God's knowing good and evil. Now he begins to question God's love and God's character and God's goodness. He says, look, God doesn't just, he, he, you're, you're not going to die if you eat of this, but 